Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And uh, Julie, let's talk about urine. Let's do it. As the as the commodity urine, not so much about the... I mean, we'll get into some of the biological processes that are involved in the creation of urine to a certain extent, but for the most part, urine as this semi-magical golden liquid that comes out of our bodies, and there it is, on the ground, in a jar, in the toilet, in the urinal, on the side of a bus, wherever. <laughs> we're, we're left to, to contemplate this liquid and figure out what we should do with it. What can we learn from it? And indeed, every time you go to the doctor, or, or most times you go to the doctor, what mm-hmm. do you have to do? Pee you have to pee in a cup. That's right, because yeah. that's that liquid gold that will tell you all sorts of things about your present and your future. And we've been, been divining with urine for uh, thousands of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the practice goes back uh, literally thousands of years. And we're still, but the, the thing about it is we still haven't completely refined the process. We're still finding new ways to learn from urine and uh, and actually uh, discover the, the curative properties of urine, but not in the way that you might be thinking. We'll get into the, the whole urine drinking as well. Yeah, it actually turns out to be far more complex and nuanced beyond some of the things that we already know about urine. And we'll talk about that yeah. in a moment. Like, what does it mean when my pee is like electric yellow? Yeah, hold on, because we'll get there. So pee in a jar, we'll get to, to the, the color in just a minute. But, but first, let's just rehash the basics about urine. Urine, of course, is there for a reason. It is a waste product. It's there to remove uh, extra water and water-soluble waste that the kidneys filter from the blood. So it gets rid of toxins and things that would otherwise build up in the body. Yeah, I kind of think about the kidneys as a brew house. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the waste products is the hops. Yeah. They're kind of like flavoring what, what your urine is going to look like. And it's really important because kidneys do maintain water vo- volume and balance as well as regulate blood composition. And if you think about it, there are really only four exit strategies for substances in your body. Feces, mm-hmm. your breath, sweat, and urine. So urine is obviously one of the yeah. big four here. Your, your urine's a big one. I remember when I uh, wrote the article about saunas for how stuff work. I was mm-hmm. looking into the whole, uh, you know, question of well, can you can you sweat out impurities? And you can sweat out some impurities, but really urine is the, the go-to for for those liquid impurities. You'll, you'll get a little with sweat, but it's mainly the pee. Yeah, and let's talk about that pee because it is composed primarily of water. We're talking about 95% mm-hmm. in a well-hydrated person. The other 5%, we're talking uh, all sorts of organic solutes, inclu- including urea, creatine, uric acid, and trace amounts of enzymes, carbohydrates, hormones, fatty acids. It goes, The list goes down and down and down. Yeah. It's it's kind of I mean the, the thing again it's a waste product so you get into that whole situation of when you want to learn about an ancient culture what do you end up looking for as an archaeologist you look for their garbage heap you know you find out what they're eating what they're they're throwing away what kind of little bits of detritus um, give us a picture of their lives and thus we do the same with urine uh, and and we're discovering more and more ways to do that with urine because you see what they ate what kind of uh, you know what they t- took part of what kind of environment they lived in. So what we're talking about here is a, a far more nuanced understanding or beginnings of understandings of urine because, you know, if you look at compounds right now that are tested in urine, you're, you're talking about 150, not 3,000. So it turns out that urine beats out saliva as one of the most complex fluids in the human body. And it, uh, that has ushered in new urine-based diagnostic tests for colon and prostate cancer, celiac disease, and pneumonia. 
Yeah, I thought it was fascinating. We're you know talking uh, 2,300 different compounds can show up in there that should show you know what kind of drug the drugs the person happens to be taking, what they're drinking, what foods they're eating, what cosmetics they're wearing. Mm-hmm. I never thought about cosmetic signatures uh, in urine, but there you go. And uh, I mean, in the course, the great thing, and this will come up again and again, the great thing about urine is that unlike other uh, ways you might test the body, I mean, it just comes right out. It's, it's, you're not having to <laughs> dig into the body, cut into the body. It's, it's a pretty invasive way of getting at uh, some data about how the organism is working. And it's, I mean, it's, as far as gross things that come out of the body, it's generally not that gross. Now, if you want to, to uh, read the tea leaves, as it were, of your own pee at home without going through a highly diagnostic test, you can do so just by looking at the color, right? Yeah, and uh, you know, and urine comes in a rainbow of colors. Like on one hand, you can have like the extremely dark urine. Mm-hmm. You can have the the crystal clear urine. That's what I tend to try and go for on a good day. Drink enough water to where it's just straight up clear. And I'm, I'm peeing all day long. And then you have uh, you have uh, various other shades in between. So uh, the big one, if you have colorless water urine, what does that mean? Just straight up. Yeah, crystal. you've been drinking a lot of water. Yeah. All right. Which I tend to see. It's like a badge of. It's like a. It's like an, an achievement award that you get. It's like there we go. I'm doing it. Now let's let's get really specific here. Have you ever peed into the toilet, looked, and then saw that day glow yellow, and you're just a little bit taken back? Y- yes. Um, so certainly when I've taken like a lot of vitamins, uh, sometimes Bingo. I'll see that really yellow urine. Or, or if I take, uh, those, uh, when I had a UTI recently, I took those pills that, uh, help flush the, out the kidneys. Yeah, flush out the kidneys and decrease the pain. And that's like bright orange. It's one of those things you take it an hour previously and then you forget that you took it and then, whoa, you know, it's like a, it's like a muppet in there. <laughs> it's alarming. Yeah. It can be. And if you have tea colored urine, mm-hmm. well, that means that you're probably dehydrated. Now, yeah. a, a lot of these... More concentrated urine. You're right. And this tends to be the kind of urine you see in uh, abandoned soda bottles, I notice. You know, you never <laughs> see like really clear, healthy urine in an old uh, sun drop container. It's always like dark brown urine that you're not sure if it's, if it's pee or motor oil at first glance. Yeah, but if you're urinating into a bottle, you're probably... There's probably some sort of thing going on there that means that you're <laughs> in dire circumstances and exactly. you're just reaching for the... The nearest vessel. Now, the thing that you want to strive for is straw-colored urine. Really? So am I overreaching with my crystal? It's possible. It's possible that you might have too dilute of urine, in which case you might want to back off a little bit because that straw-colored kind of shows that there's a balance going on Mm. in terms of the salts in your body and everything else. Okay. Now, of course, the big one, of course, is if there's any blood. That's generally, yeah. that's generally, a, I mean, that is a sign that you need to get it checked out. Could be something simple, could be a UTI, uh, but it can also uh, be something far more serious. I mean, bladder cancer, you name it. So it, it comes down to, again, the, the fact that, that you can tell so much about how the organism is functioning by looking at the urine, even something as simple as just visually what's going on there. Now, scent, and we won't get too much into this because we could probably spend an entire podcast about pea scent, but a sugary smell might indicate the presence of blood sugar that's been excreted into the urine and could be caused by diabetes or pregnancy. And, of course, as we know, certain foods produce a sulfur-containing amino acid. Looking mm-hmm. at you, asparagus. So, yeah, if you eat asparagus for the first time following this podcast, be prepared possibly for something a little, little funky. All right, let's talk about some myths of pee, because there are ideas of pee use out there in the world, and I'm talking specifically about drinking your own pee. Is this a good idea, yes or no? Um, no, it's not a good idea. And uh, 
What? I, I know it, it sounds amazing. I mean, a lot of it comes down to the fact that, you know, we were talking about it earlier. What's it made of? 95% water. Okay, that's great. Mm-hmm. We need water. But that remaining 5% is garbage. And you, and toxic garbage. Toxic garbage that you're better off, better off not drinking. Now, it's an idea that has, that keeps coming back. I guess there's something, you know, cyclical and sort of magical sounding about drinking your own urine. As uh, pointed out by Ryan Bradley in the popular science article, uh, classic FYI, is it ever okay to drink your own urine? He points out that, uh, that, that the celts in the Iberian Peninsula gargle it to whiten their teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, uh, in Ayurvedic, uh, medicine, you had, uh, the practice of amaroli, which is a Sanskrit word that refers to urine therapy. And there's even the argument that uh, the Pro- that Proverbs 5:15 uh, supports the act, saying, "Drink waters from thy own cistern, flowing water from thy own self." Now there are some readers who took issue with that proverb, <laughs> so we won't spend a lot of time with that parsing that out. But yeah, this idea of drinking your own urine has been around for a long time, and you really see it in survivalist situations. So you have someone like Aaron Ralston; he's the rock climber mm-hmm. who was pinned under a boulder, and he drank his own urine during a five-day ordeal in which he ended up amputating his own arm. And you have people like Bear Grylls; he's a survivalist who say, "Yeah, yeah it, it could work," but the the idea there is. It might work to drink your own urine in um, this dire situation only if you have that correct level of dilute water in your pee. So if you are dehydrated to the point that you drink your pee, it's not a good idea because it it's, becomes more and more concentrated right. with all of those um, excess electrolytes. We're talking about chloride, sodium, and potassium. You do not want to fill up on this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the reasons why the the Army Field Manual uh, for Survival, Evasion, and Recovery listed on the do not drink list along with uh, seawater and blood. So really, it's, it's, <laughs> to think about that, it's basically on the same level as drinking seawater or blood in a survival situation. Yeah. Now, to your point, if you had... You know, somebody around with really crystal clear urine, you could maybe make the case for it. But in a survival situation, it's going to be that orange stuff in the sun drop container. Yeah, know? because most likely in that situation, you, you maybe you get that first batch and it's fine. Mm-hmm. But as you continue to not replenish your system with fresh, clean water and your kidneys don't get flushed out, well, then, again, this, the more um, concentrated toxic substances accumulate. And what we're talking about here is sodium drawing water out of your cells, dehydrating you. And of course, too much potassium can lead to heart attacks. All right. We'll hold on to that uh, jar of urine because we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into uh, yet another uh, popular myth about the use of urine in uh, do-it-yourself medicine. Okay, you're on the beach. Okay. Sounds a friend good. is uh, has just emerged from the ocean. Okay. Screaming, it appears that they have been stung by a jellyfish. Ah. Now, some people might decide that at that very moment that they are going to uh, break protocol and friendship, assuming they don't have this level of intimacy, mm-hmm. and urinate on their friend because they think that will alleviate the pain. Well, I'm pretty sure you should never urinate on your friends. First rule. First rule. So if you find yourself breaking that rule, you need to ask yourself some serious hard questions about what's going on. Um, but yeah, this is something we see a lot. It's, this is a, it's just a common trope. It shows up in TV shows mm-hmm. and, uh, and just sort of part of our, our popular consciousness. The idea that, oh, 
the jellyfish sting is awful, but we have the cure uh, right in our own body. All we have to do is is muster up some urine and splash that on there, and that will relieve the symptoms. Right, and they think, oh, it's sterile. Well, sure, it's sterile <laughs> while it's inside of you, but yeah. when it goes down the tract, it's picking up bacteria. So when it exits your body, it is not sterile any longer. But that's not even really the problem. Um, and to discuss the problem of why this actually may worsen the sting, we have to look at the jellyfish's skin cells, these stinging cells or nidocytes. Now, these cells hold a barbed thread-like tube called a nematocyst, and this is filled with venom. And Matt Soniak, writing from Mental Floss, describes it further. He says, on the outside of each cell is a tiny hair called a nidocell. And when this hair trigger is disturbed, the cell's toxic harpoon explodes from its capsule and into the skin of the jellyfish's prey or an unlucky swimmer. Yeah, this one thing to keep in mind about the jellyfish thing is that it's not just this magical touch that, uh, you know, dark magical touch that uh, that burns you. It's not like being burned by something where the source of the burn is taken away and mm-hmm. therefore all you have is the injury. You have those uh, those, those little nematocysts still present and, and they're clinging on. So they're still there. There's still some weaponry on the skin that can be activated, for instance, by scratching it. If you start scratching the jellyfish sting, you're going, you're going to aggravate those uh, nematocysts that are still clinging there and you're going to get more sting. Yeah, that's right, because there are a couple of things that uh, really spring those harpoons of venom into action. One is pressure. So, Mm -hmm. right, if you use your own fingers to squeeze at it or try to pinch it off, uh, you're going to get stung. And it also senses changes in its environment like chemical composition. So what would happen if you peed on this? Well, what would happen is that those cells would say, hmm, this is odd. There's yeah. uh, more water in this composition than seawater, and we see this as an attack. And it would actually release more venom as your urine trickled over the wound. Yeah, any change to the balance of solids is going to set off more stinging. So, I mean, because th- the thing about this, the thing that's so um, amusing and perplexing about the urine uh, situation is that what we're saying here is that the... the liquid you need to use to wash off that sting and get rid of the any clinging uh, nematocysts that are still there is salt water. And, and, and since there's an extremely high probability that you were stung by that saltwater jellyfish in salt water, mm-hmm. then it stands to reason you need to just walk three feet and get some more salt water and wash it off. And if for some reason you're stung, like somebody mails a jellyfish to you and then you're stung, well, then you need to get something uh, like vinegar. Yeah. But but just using urine, I mean, you would, you, like, like we said, you have that 95% water, 5% impurity, but then there are all these varying degrees of, uh, of uncertainty as to what its actual content is going to be. So it's possible that you could have, like, magic uh, urine. You could have just the right uh, <laughs> level uh, in your urine. Super dehydrated? Yeah, just super dehydrated, I guess. Just the, just the right uh, saltiness to where mm-hmm. it would be effective. But that would, the, the chances of that being the case are, are pretty rare. And if your urine is that concentrated with salt, then you have an entirely different problem. Right. Right. Like you, the, the jellyfish thing now is sort of on the sidelines. Yeah. I mean, but again, it comes back to the salt water. Salt water is what you need to wash that sting with, and there is an ocean of it there in front of you. So use it. All right. So there we go. Now you know about jellyfish things. Please don't uh, pee on your friends. And should we even talk about the asparagus problem? I feel like this is such a chicken and egg problem. Yeah, uh, and you know, back when the podcast was uh, stuff in the science lab, I feel like we did a, an episode on it about like some because there's a lot of inter- it's legitimately interesting uh, research into the, the genetics of this. You know, yeah. the idea that some people have the gene 
that uh, that lets them makes their pee smell like asparagus mm-hmm. when they eat it. Others don't, and then the, the reverse of that. Some people have the gene that allows them to smell the the uh, the asparagus smell, and others don't. So. Which way is it? Yeah, and as, as far as I can tell in all the literature that is, is built up on this, and there's a ton of it, by the way, mm-hmm. the consensus seems to be it could be a little from column A and B, right? right. A little bit that you could smell it uh, or you can't smell it. You can, produ- you can produce it or you can't produce it. Exactly. I mean, I, I think this is, we'll put this in the area of consciousness. We don't know. Asparagus, yeah. we don't know exactly why pea smells like asparagus or doesn't, and we don't know the center of consciousness. Yeah, those are the two big ones uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that science science has on the blackboard. Yes. They have, they have yet to, to cross them off. But you know, while people are worrying over the genetics of asparagus pea, there's a lot of precious urokinase just going straight down the toilet, and that stuff is gold. I love this story. This, <laughs> to me, is about innovation. It's about imagination, creativity, and uh, one guy by the name of Earl Braxton. Now, this is a portable toilets businessman mm-hmm. who also has a pharmaceuticals firm, pharmaceuticals.org. And he figured out that if you could tease out this enzyme, mm-hmm. urokinase, and you could figure out the sort of volume that you need mm-hmm. to to really make enough of it, well, then maybe you could turn a profit in the medical world. But how? How to collect all of this urine? But first, uh, let's talk about why urokinase is, is important. I mean, basically, it's it's gold because it is used to dissolve blood clots in heart patients. So it, it has a, an, an enormous potential out there mm-hmm. uh, as a as as a as a medicine. Uh, so even even though this idea that you can just drink your urine for health is complete bunk, here we see someone uh, who has who has said yes, there is this a uh, fabulous uh, medicine hidden in our urine. All we have to do is find a way to extract it. And, of course, that becomes the problem, especially if your business is, is porta-potties. Because we, we've all seen a, a portable toilet before. We know there's not there's not always a lot of technology going on there. Generally, it consists of a, of a dark hole into which uh, uh, we cast things. And then we, we just assume that somebody else is going to suck it out with a, with a giant uh, you know, tank on the back of a truck. Well, and they do, right? Mm-hmm. And then they deliver it over to uh, Braxton's business. And that's where it becomes really important that those 90,000 participants at Coachella with full bladders yeah. are, are really depositing this. Because it turns out that he, along with biochemist Dr. E. Kendall Pye, they created a system that could separate the enzyme from the urine and come up with a viable product that could be used in a life-threatening situation where you, you know, you have the blood clot in a lung and you just get this injection and poof. Yeah. This enzyme actually dissolves it. It's pretty amazing stuff. And in the process of, of seeing this, uh, this stuff out of the urine and to, uh, the medical industry, that millions and millions of dollars are made. That's the, the bottom line. Well, yeah, that, yeah. there we go. Uh, yes, there's always profit at the bottom of the toilet there. But again, there's a, there's, there's a pretty technical process involved in extracting the urokinase. There's a certain amount of volume of urine that is required. So you're probably not going to really benefit from starting a do it yourself with your own, uh, golden leavings. That's a really good point, by yeah. the way. Just in case you guys out there are like, hey, this is something I can get into. A little niche business. And by the way, I think that Braxton has cornered the market on this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got, uh, he's got quite a little business of porta potties. Yeah, he's been doing it for a while, too. So it's, yeah. this is not something that sprang up in the last, uh, even few years. Here's a little factoid for you. Okay. <clears throat> For one of his porta potty lines, he tried to use um, 
the phrase, here's Johnny. Oh, as, it, like the, well, I was thinking of The Shining. But, well, uh, but I guess you're thinking of Johnny the, Carson. Johnny Carson, okay. yeah. And The Tonight Show <laughs> mm-hmm. sued him and said, you cannot use our famous term, here's Johnny, for our porta potties. Wow. See, I, I would think it would be bad because I'm picturing uh, Jack Nicholson hacking through the side of the Porta John <laughs> while I'm trying to do my business. Maybe that's so. the other part of it. They were like, and subconsciously, people think that they're going to get hacked to death while they are, you know, popping a squat. Um, but I mean, this guy is the essence of just persistence because even after Carson died, he tried again. Well, you know, that name and again, the Tonight wouldn't. Show said no. Yeah. All right. What else could we get from urine? I mean, something groundbreaking. Yeah, and th- this is amazing because I know what you, some of you are thinking. You're thinking, all right, well, you can you can get urokinase out of urine through this complex process, but that's not really the same as saying you know urine has curative properties. So there's magic in the urine that can be used to 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 heal um, a, a wounded or aging or diseased human body, but. This really, I think, uh, settles the, the argument. According to a, a 2013 paper published in the journal Stem Cells, Wake Forest Baptist Medical uh, Center's Institute for Regenerative Medicine and colleagues identified stem cells in urine. So, stem cells again. Stem cells are important because they're the uh, they're the children of the future, right? Mm-hmm. They are uh, cells that can become various different types of cell types. They're uh, they're a blank slate. So, in uh, you can you can use and we talked about this before in the. Um, Especially when we're talking about uh, tissue uh, uh, growing and the, the right. potential to grow new organs, these are the blank slates that can be used to create tissues of varying types and then create new, uh, you know, replacement flesh, replacement organs, mm-hmm. you name it. I mean, it, it's key and core to the future of medicine. And how to get those stem cells has been the problem so far. So right. to know that this is a viable resource, we don't know exactly, you know, to what extent, uh, but to know that this is a resource is pretty huge. And the team successfully directed stem cells from urine to become bladder type cells. We're talking about smooth muscle and, uh, we're talking about the cells that line the bladder. But the urine-derived cells could also form bone, cartilage, fat, skeletal muscle, nerve, and endothelial cells which line blood vessels. In fact, in terms of the bone thing here, researchers at the Chinese Academy of Sciences at the Guangdong Provincial Key Laboratory of Stem Cell Biology and Regenerative Medicine have created a potential method for growing teeth from stem cells obtained in urine. And when I mentioned this to our video producer, Tyler Klang, do you know what he said? What did he say? He said, well, that would make you a real potty mouth. Ah. Now, one thing to keep in mind about this study is that what they were able to achieve here is they grew tooth-like structures on mice, <laughs> so yeah. soft tooth-like structures. So, um, and so it's not like the, the mouse had a like you know a big mouthful of human teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, think more like a, you know you threw a, a mouse and some teeth into uh, into two different uh, teleporters and combine them into one horrific thing on the other end. That this is a the, the very beginning of the uh, the ability to grow teeth. Uh, but it, but it, it sheds some light on the future where you can imagine a day when, when we can look to urine. Mm-hmm. This thing that for, for ages we have just, you know, washed away. We can go to that and, uh, and then use the stem cells in the urine to heal the body. So we have in a, a one episode called, I think it was called Doctor in Your Toilet. <laughs> Uh, but we talked about how important it is that, you know, what comes out of our body can really help direct us in terms of curing ourselves and yeah. and how in, in future senses we might be able to do more of a DIY setup. But can you imagine 
you know, 100 years from now, sort of taking some of those stem cells out and being like, ah, oh, lost a tooth. Yeah. Better put it in the little stem cell incubator and, uh, you know, maybe in a couple hours I'll have a new tooth to put in there. Yeah, you would go into the dentist and the first thing you would do is you would just pee in a cup and then they, <laughs> and then we take it from there. Um, yeah, no, I like what you, you're talking about the, the doctor and the toilet. You know, I, I often think of that when I, I think about the human need to look at the things that come out of our bodies, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, because, because uh, again, it's something as simple as seeing blood in the urine is a, is a sign that something's wrong. If, if there's something weird about our stool, that's another sign that something's wrong. If there's something weird coming out of our nose, out of our mouth, I mean, it's just, uh, at its very basics, it's, uh, it's the organism evaluating itself, mm-hmm. looking to the urine for answers. And, our techniques of looking at the urine have only improved. And again, we're still finding things. That's, that's just, it blows my mind to think of that. Yeah. And I also started thinking about Freud, who said that was like one of the phases of children oh, is creating, yeah. Yeah, creating the, the thing that came out of their body. And they're so excited because they're like, I created that. I, I did that. Um, all right. Let's not bring Freud into it. Instead, <laughs> let's talk about urine and courtship in the animal kingdom because you know that's happening there. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's pretty huge. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, especially when we, we've, we've talked about parasites in the past. We often talk about mouse uh, urine, and of course, mice live in this world of senses, a world of smells. So they mm-hmm. live in a world of pheromones, and that's where the pheromones are coming out in the form of urine. So in that sense, uh, mouse urine is a form of communication. And you see that in other examples. I'm thinking about crayfish, and I was actually thinking about this as the urine fight club. Hmm. Because the reason is, is that um, male, male crayfish will respond to urinary signals of female crayfish. But the females will exhibit aggressive behavior at the same time. So it's thought that by stimulating aggressive behavior in males, that females are gauging the male size and their strength in trying to figure out uh, who is going to be the fittest male to fertilize their eggs. Hmm. And this was actually information that was um, found by Fiona Berry and Thomas Breithaupt from the University of Hull, UK. I, I kind of love to peek into that lab and see these crayfish fighting yeah. it out. Now, another animal of note is, of course, the giraffe. And uh, I've been reading a lot about giraffes recently, um, probably more so than most people. For fun? Um, sort of. Um, so my son has a book on giraffes. Mm-hmm. It's only five pages long, and it's called The Baby Giraffe. And uh, it, it only has limited information about their life cycle, but I'm, I'm asked to read this book over and over again. And uh, oddly enough, it does not get into what we're about to talk about here, and that is the fact that male giraffes assess female fertility by testing the female's urine to detect their reproductive status. Yeah, I thought this was pretty interesting. They act as a kind of pee-stick fertility test. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not suggesting that in the human species, but in some ways, it might be more convenient, right? Because you just assess the, the quality of the pee and say, ah, oh, yes, okay, you're an asterisk. Hmm. But the thing is, is that the female giraffe is in heat and asterisk only one day out of every two weeks. So it would make sense that they would have such a refined system. Yeah, to and, pinpoint when that is. And they don't have a lot of time to waste. I mean, the giraffes right. are prey animals. They uh, they have to be on the run. If I remember correctly, they're only sleeping 30 minutes a day uh, in, in small chunks. So it's it's a it's a life on the run. It's a life of always uh, keeping your head up and noticing what's going on. So you don't have a lot of time for extra fooling around. You need to get right down to business. You need to know that this is going to benefit uh, your genes. And if you're curious about how this urine tasting is going down, uh, just to let you know, the female can choose who to give her data to mm-hmm. um, by choosing to urinate or not when the male lowers his head to her rump. 
So it's not just that the males are going up to females all day long and having a taste. But, you know, there's certain times that the female says, okay, fine. It's a little more refined than that. So in in a sense, there's a little more romance. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, And, you know, so, you know, there's a little bit more uh, selectivity going on. Okay. She's not just giving her data out willy-nilly. Okay. Well, I think that's fascinating. I think that the book on the baby giraffe could have been six pages long, and we could have uh, we could have gotten that info in there. I think that you're going to write that book on the giraffe. Yeah. That's what I'm sensing. Yeah. Six pages of scientific wonder. So there you have it, a little insight into the salty leavings uh, that we all face every day. And hopefully we'll all uh, leave here with uh, a little better understanding about the uh, the possibilities contained therein. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a poo-poo platter of urine information for you. You knew I was going to uh, do that, didn't you? Yeah. I did. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you guys want to check us out a bit more, you can do so. Yeah, just head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's our website. That's the mothership. That's where you'll find our podcast episodes, all of them going all the way back to ancient times. You'll also find our blog posts. You'll find our videos. Uh, you'll find links to our social media accounts. But if you want to find those social media accounts on your own, just go to uh, Facebook, go to Twitter, go to Tumblr, go to uh, Google+. Plus. We're on all of those. Yep, but make sure to hit the mothership, StuffToBlowYourMind.com. And if you would like to send us a letter via the internet and email, you can do so at BelowTheMindAtDiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 